And so, God, now as we turn to your word, we ask that you would be with us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. We can all, I think, admit that that pandemic's been hard. It's been hard for a variety of reasons. Isolation, new protocols constantly coming our way, trying to figure out how to navigate those protocols, church being open and closed and live streamed and 10 people in a building and then more and then less and then back and then forth. Community groups trying to meet, at times being able to, at times being unable to. And so it's created a great deal of tension and difficulty for our spiritual growth. I mean, it's life in general. I mean, if you read right now, you can read all these studies being done in Canada, right? Where one in four people in leadership, like in an executive leadership, are looking to resign and transition right now. In fact, since September 1st, I have six colleagues. I biked to the gym yesterday. I saw a colleague of mine standing uh, in the parking lot, swung around with my bike, went over and said hi, and was talking to him, and he said, did you know I resigned? I'm like, no, no clue you resigned. So six colleagues I know since September 1st, some of these are of significant churches, like large churches, um, have all resigned. They've all resigned right? Same in the healthcare. Healthcare is about the same. One in four people in healthcare, these are the stats I'm reading coming down uh, from the ministry, are wanting to resign right now. They're wanting to say just, I'm done, like I've had enough. It's, it's over. And as people have tried to grow through the pandemic, it's been challenging. And for many, I think people have realized, wow, I actually need Christian community, just like Phil was talking about this morning. I need other believers in my life. I need other people to speak into my life, and I need to speak into other people's lives. I need people that can walk alongside of me and help me understand who Christ is and how to grow in my faith. And as I do that, I need to be able to do that in someone else's life. I mean, I actually think one of the best ways to grow in your faith is to be involved in someone else's life, helping them grow in their faith. Because as they ask you questions, you are searching for answers. As they're talking to you about the things that they're trying to understand about faith, you're able to grow in your faith as you're explaining what God's word is saying. That's why the Great Commission says that you're to teach them, right? Go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded. Well, for you to be able to teach someone everything that Christ has commanded, you'd need to be able to dig into to understand and know everything Christ has committed. So it's a big task. But many of us coming out of this have chosen a a great deal of isolation. We haven't really invested in others. We haven't really come alongside of others. In fact, I've talked to numbers of Christians who have been frustrated and upset, not typically from our church, but other churches as I've been at different conferences or done some stuff live stream. And people come to me and say, you know, no one reached out to me. Now, Now, this is always the ironic thing. I'll say to them, who did you reach out to? And they can't answer me. They didn't reach out to anyone, but they're frustrated that no one reached out to them. And I'm like, wow, you're just a hypocrite, right? You're frustrated that, that no one reached out to you, and yet you didn't reach out to anyone. You didn't, you didn't take time to speak into people's lives and to do that. And so maybe coming out of COVID, I know I'm saying coming out of it, I know we're not out of it yet, but through this pandemic that we've been in the last year and a half, you've started to realize, well, I actually need other believers, I actually need other people in my life. It's similar to a fire, right? If you have a fire burning with 50 coals, and you have 50 coals that are aflame together, and you take one coal and you place it over here, 
10 feet away from the other 49 coals that are burning, which is going to burn the longest? Which is going to burn the brightest? That one single coal or the 49? The 49, I mean, you can do this. Just try this. The 49 are going to burn much brighter and longer than that one single coal on its own. That coal is going to go out. It's going to extinguish itself. In fact, even if the elements come and begin to play a part in that, those 49 coals together are going to last longer than that one single coal. And yet many of us try to convince ourselves that we can be that one single coal, and we can't be. If you have your Bible, start with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. And I want to today talk about what it means to grow in our faith. And in talking about what it means to grow in our faith, I want to talk about how we grow in our faith together. Beginning at verse 1, the Word of God says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bear with each other in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. That is why it says, He who ascended on high took many captives, and he gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Verse 11. So Christ gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of cunning and the, uh, of teaching, sorry, and by cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together in every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. In verse 1, Paul says he's a prisoner for the Lord. The idea of him being a prisoner for the Lord is likely his status. He's actually in jail. He does at times use the term when he's talking about how he is in chains for Christ and there aren't physical chains. He's talking about how he's a slave for the Lord. But here I believe he's talking about as I'm in prison for the Lord, I want you, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. He says you have a calling. In God saving you, in God working in your life, in God grabbing a hold of you, there's a calling you have. And that calling is this. He explains it. Verse 2. Humility gentleness, patience, bearing with each other in love, and unity. Humility. We looked at this last week when we looked at Philippians 2. But what is humility? I mean, it's considering others better than yourself. It's looking to other needs first. Humility is saying, I'm going to look to your needs before I look to my needs. Humility is saying, I'm going to consider you better than myself. Humility is others focused. It's looking at other people first. He said, I want you to live a life that's worthy of the calling, and firstly, that calling is humility. This isn't about how good you think you are. This isn't about how gifted you think you are. This isn't about 
all the things you've accomplished. This is about God's work through you. And as you come alongside of others and they agitate you, that's what happens. Not with everyone, but with some people. And they're hard to get along with and at times difficult to engage with. He says, be gentle. Be tender. Come alongside of others with a tender gentleness. And be patient, show restraint and tolerance. Kindness, if you will. Bearing with each other. The, the idea there in love is that love will guide. Your love for people will guide your relationships with them. That when they bump up against you, when their idiosyncrasies kind of irk you, love is what guides you. Love is what allows your response to be humble and gentle and patient. And he says, make every effort. He says, work hard at being united together. Because your unity comes from the Spirit through the bond of peace. You're at peace with God. God has granted you adoption into his family. You are now sons and daughters of the living God. You're part of God's family together. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And the unity that's being given to you is the unity that comes from the Spirit. And the Spirit that is in you is in every believer, not just at James North, but in every single believer in Hamilton, in every single believer in Ontario, Canada, and across the world. And he says this, there is one body. There is one church. That is it. Years ago, we had a man that was attending our church who was leaving his church to come here. He went to a church that was a Reformed church, but a narrow Reformed church. And they were going to read a letter on a Sunday that said that he had left the one true church because they had three denominations that they had approved of which you could kind of migrate between. So I asked if I could come with him and meet with their elders and have a conversation. It was in the summer. They said, sure, I was young. I mean, we were married a year. We didn't have kids. And they were like, sure. So I had a nice pair of shorts on, probably a shirt like this, and I went to an elders meeting. There were 12 of them. They were all in suits and ties, every one of them. I was like, wow, this was very unexpected. And literally, as I walked in, they're like, see? See? And he's a pastor. I was like, oh boy, here we go, right? And we spent three hours in dialogue over the scriptures, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it was quite an intense night. And at the end of the night, I finally said this to them. I said, do you think you'll see us in heaven? And the room just went silent. I said, do you think we are believers? Oldest guy in the room stood up. Everybody watched this. He took off his tie, hung it over the chair, took off his jacket, hung it on the chair, undid his top button, pointed at me and said, I like you. He said, no one has ever challenged my faith like you have. Of course we'll see you in heaven. There's no doubt in my mind that you're a believer. Then I said, who makes up the church? Who makes up the church? Only the believing body of Christ. How can you say that my friend who's coming now to Houston Street is leaving the one true church when you're saying he's a part of it in glory? But we can get that way. I can get that way. We can be judgmental. I'm not saying that there aren't points of heresy or unsound doctrine by which people have shown that they are not part of the one true church. We'll get to that later in the passage, right here in this passage. That does happen. 
But at times, we can call into question people who have just differences of opinions on us on a variety of things, including the pandemic. And so here we emphasize there's one body, there's one church, there's one spirit. I want you to know the Trinity is all mentioned in verses 4 and 5. There's one spirit. It's not like one group has a different spirit than another group. There's one spirit. One hope. Our confidence is in the fact, what is our hope? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says if Christ wasn't raised to life again, we are still in our sins. Our, our, our hope is found, secured, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His accomplished work on the cross, the resurrection being God's amen to the work of Christ on the cross. One Lord. That's Jesus. The Lord. There isn't five lords, there isn't two lords, there's one Lord. One faith. Faith is found in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation. That's it. It's not found in any other name. It's in the name of Jesus Christ. One baptism. I believe this is baptism of the Spirit. I don't believe this is the argument of Pado or adult baptism, believer baptism. I believe this is just the whole idea here of you've been baptized by the Spirit. If you're a believer, God's Spirit is in you. And there's one God and Father of all. Note the Trinity, the Spirit, the Lord, who is the Son, Christ, and God the Father, who is over all, through all, and in all. And here he says, this is your foundation. And I talked about this last week, but this is true. As a believer, you have more in common with other believers than anyone else on the planet. You just do. It's one of the things we need to recognize. You have more in common with believers than you do with people who share a similar hobby to you, people who share a similar business to you, people who share a similar interest of you or political persuasion. You have more in common with believers than anyone else on the planet. That's it. Because all of these things are true of every believer on the planet. And Paul says, that is your foundation. And it's a rich and glorious foundation, isn't it? That a triune God has created us, who grants us faith and hope in him, allowing us to be part of his family, the church, the body of Christ, secure in what he's done. That's an incredible foundation. And so then he goes on and he says, I want you to know that God then grants each of you, each of us, grace as Christ has determined it, as Christ has apportioned it. He then quotes from Psalm 68, 18, and he talks about that this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. Psalm 68 is about God being the divine warrior and victory over his enemies. And so here... Paul takes the imagery, and Ephesians, of course, is chocked full of the spiritual battle that we find ourselves in, about this being not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. The doctrines laid out for it in the first three chapters, the practicum of it in the last three chapters, four, five, and six. And at this point, he's reminding us that the divine warrior God that's mentioned in Psalm 68 has displayed his power by strengthening his people in the feet of the enemies, sin and Satan and the world. I think that's what he's saying here. That as you live in believers with this as your foundation and the sin either of the world or your own sinful nature, the world's ideology or its philosophy, or Satan himself attacks you, the divine warrior has defeated him. And when it says he ascended on high or he ascended on high, 
That only means that he also descended. And he's not here talking about descending into hell. He's talking about descending onto earth, the incarnation. And he just said, I want, you know, the one who descended, the one who incarnated himself, was raised to life again. In our first sermon on the book of Acts, we're going to look at the ascension. And what is that? So he says, because that is true, because God has gifted people in his kingdom, as, but with the grace that he's apportioned, he said some are apostles. Now I believe as we look at this list, the apostolic in this list, the apostles, are the only group that's an actual office. This is, this is a, a specific office. The office now in the church in the New Testament is what? There's two, elders and deacons. Are the two offices in the church that lead the church. But there are various people who have various functions in the church. And so I believe these are different functions that you see happening in the church. The apostles, apostolic authority, I believe rested with 12 men. Judas didn't become an apostle. He perished by hanging himself. Matthias was, of course, chosen to replace him, becoming the 12th. Some would argue abnormally, because then God also selected Paul, becoming the 13th apostle. And you have the apostles mentioned, who, of course, as Paul is writing this as an apostle, they're mostly still living at the time. He says they're prophets. This is prophetic to this day. We've talked a bit about this when we looked at this last summer. We're going to look at this through the book of Acts, but where God still allows people to speak on his behalf. Not in canonized scripture. This is not God speaking his word as he did previously, but this is still God revealing to people ways, his ways, or specific things that he has a word for someone in. So he said, I've gifted some of you prophetically. I've gifted some of you with evangelism. Some of you are evangelists. You have gifts in evangelism. I mean, the reason Marcio and Alini came to Canada from Brazil was because Marcio had gifts in evangelism that he felt he could not express in the same way as a lead pastor of a church because he was leading churches in Brazil. And he wanted to come somewhere where he could express and use his gifts in evangelism. And so some are evangelists. He's not alone. There's others here. Some are pastors. Now, when we think of pastors, you think of people like Paul or Derek or Marcy or I or others. I don't believe that that is a good reading of the text. I actually would say I'm not a pastor. It's how we think in terms of our culture. Pastor is a role, just like evangelist is a role, just like prophet is a role. These aren't offices. Offices are elder or deacon. I believe I am an elder among elders of the church, and my role is the teaching elder. I actually don't think I have strong gifts in pastoral ministry. I have strong gifts in prophetic ministry, and I have gifts in evangelism. I don't think my gift is in pastoring. I just don't. All the tests I would take, all the aptitude tests would tell me that. Some of you would tell me that. Sorry. Right? I have colleagues of mine that occasionally listen to my sermons and they're like, Dwayne. I'm like, yeah, I just want to say that was direct. That's usually the first thing. I'm like, well, thank you. I, and biblical, but direct. And, and, and so when it comes to pastoring, there are people who just have gifts to shepherd other people. Some of our pastors on staff who I mentioned actually are people who do that. And many of my colleagues, their gift predominantly is the gift of shepherding and they're wonderful shepherds. They're great shepherds, but this is shepherds. And it goes beyond people who are paid in churches. Lots of people, I want to say this very clearly, men and women are gifted as prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers used appropriately within the office or within the function that they have. 
But, but men and women are gifted in each of these areas. There are women who excel at shepherding other women. There are men who excel at shepherding other men. They just naturally come alongside of them. There are some of you, I'm looking at as I'm preaching, I know you're actually pastors. Not in the title sense, not in the way that our culture has made it, but in the way the Bible describes it. You invest in the lives of other people. You come alongside of them pastorally. And some of you are teachers in the way that you lead your small groups, in the way that you come alongside of others. You're, you're gifted as teachers. And Paul says, God has given these gifts with the grace that Christ has apportioned to you in the divine warrior, God defeating sin and Satan and death. God has granted you all of this as the body, what? To equip his people for works of service. Now you might think this is the Sunday of serving. It's not. But I want you to notice here as I get into this next week in another passage that these roles that God has granted the church with these gifts are granted for equipping people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. They're given to build other people up, to help them understand their gifts, their role, their talents, their abilities, where they're at, so that we can all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Knowledge is important. Each of us need knowledge as part of our faith. There's a foundation, right? One faith, one hope, one body. And then God grants a group in the church to come alongside of others and equip them. And they're continually to be equipping others. They're continually to be pastoring, to be teaching, to be evangelizing, to be using the prophetic gift they have in the lives of others so that those people are equipped for the works of service that God has given them. They teach them. They walk alongside of them. They show them what God would have them do and how God would have them live so that together we can become mature. God wants us to grow in our faith. And he says the way you do it is by interacting with each other. The way you do it is by investing in each other's lives. The way you do it is by plugging in with each other. And the way you do it is by serving together. I'll hit on more of that next week. And then he says you do this, in verse 14, so that you're no longer infants. So that you actually grow up in the faith. You're no longer tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind and cunning and crafty and deceitful scheming and teaching. I, I've seen this so many times in my ministry that you know, people will be doing whatever, and then they'll be like, oh, Dwayne, I've been listening to this. I'm like, that's a cult. Like, oh, really? Like, yeah, do you know what that person believes about the Trinity? No, but they've been saying this stuff about money. I'm like, oh, great. Now, dig about what they think about the, dig about what they think about the foundations of our faith, about our triune God, about our hope, about our assurance, about our faith, about the body of Christ. Dig into those areas to see if this is who you should be listening to. To see if this is who you should be reading. To see if this is, these are the people that you should be walking alongside of. I mean, it's one of the reasons that we promote listening to groups like the Gospel Coalition. Groups like Ligonier Ministries, right? There's others, like Desiring God, that we say, hey, here are some groups that you can listen to. They're sound, right? We might differ on some of the, uh, on, on some of the specifics over various things as we understand nuances and what that looks like. But for the most part, when it comes to the essentials, 
we all agree. And so we want you to be listening to their teaching, walking alongside them. It's why we want you investing in each other's lives. So that as you're investing in each other's lives, when someone's leading in, in, a, in a bit of a, uh, they're heading into a position where it's a bit astray from the gospel, somebody can pull them back. So we say, no, 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 no. That's not what we believe. Let me show you in Scripture what we believe. Let me show you what the Bible says. Let me show you what it teaches. And we invest in each other's lives that way. We kind of walk along each, each other. Because we live in a culture where what happens? This is why God's the divine warrior over sin, Satan, and death. Where our culture says God doesn't exist. Where it claims that Christianity is a straitjacket. Where you can't make sense of God if there's suffering. Right? Where cults want to lead people astray. Where they question our views on sexuality. I mean, you've heard this now, right? Right? In debate and argument at university campuses, they call us immoral now. We are now the immoral ones because we're suppressing their freedom. And so we are now the immoral ones. The tables have turned. And it becomes cunning and crafty. And it's a deceitful scheming. It plagues our young people as they grow up through public school systems or Catholic school systems, even in Christian school systems where they hear what other people think. It plagues us. In fact, oh, I won't get into that. That's probably something I shouldn't be saying out loud. See, I do have a filter somewhere in me. It does exist. And it says, we are to all together grow, verse 15, to become in every respect mature part of the body who is the head that is Christ. Mature in our faith. Mature in our understanding of who he is. Mature in our understanding of how he wants us to live. Mature in our understanding of how we serve. Mature in our faith. I've said this before. But I believe as you read through scripture, it's very clear that there are people in this life who will just passionately grow in their faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And none of us will be at 100%. If being like Jesus is 100%, none of us will be there until we die and see him. It's thankful, right, when Paul talks in Corinthians about how we'll all pass through the fire. Everyone's work will be shown for what it is. Some will be wood and hay and stubble. It will burn up. Others will be gold and silver and bronze that will go with them. And it says, even those that it's all burned up, they will be saved. Right? It's, he's not doubting their salvation. He's saying they didn't do anything for the kingdom, but they will be saved. And there will be some people who will be 6% like Jesus when they die. But they knew Jesus. He saved them. And at that 6%, they'll get to glory and they'll be made 100% in the likeness of Christ. And there'll be other people who made it to 94%. I don't know who those people are, right? That's not doubting it's none of you, I'm just saying. And God will then take them and make them just like Jesus. And they're all saved, equally saved. But when you stand before the Lord one day, do you want to be someone who's really matured in your faith, who's really taken a hold of your faith, who's really grown in your faith, who made it your priority, who before academic pursuit, before job advancement, before hobbying, you took your faith seriously. You engaged with other believers. You grew together. If, if you were gifted in these areas of the prophetic or evangelism or pastor or teaching, you just spent your life investing in the lives of other people. You just spent your life teaching and shepherding and evangelizing and calling people to that and spent your life using the prophetic word and the gift and you just kept investing in others. And if, if you're some of the others that are there because this is given as Christ has apportioned it, you just spent your life serving and together growing in your 
Christ-likeness because he's granted us this incredible foundation that he then wants us to build upon so that we become mature, so that we can be humble, gentle, bearing with each other in love, so that we can have the marks of unity. So that people can say, there's no way this group should get along, coming from different cultures and backgrounds economically. This doesn't make sense. Because often, not always in the world, when you engage people, you engage people very much like you. You engage other engineers if you're an engineer. You engage other physicians if you're a physician. People in neighborhoods often, because of what homes are worth and stuff, are often surrounded by people who are similar to them, at least in economic status. Not always, but often. And in the church, all of that's thrown apart. All of that's different. And in the church, then all these people come together, and all these people come together, we've got to figure out, okay, so how, how do we all get along? How do we speak the truth in love to each other? Did you hear that? Verse 15. Speaking the truth in love coming alongside of others and be able to say what needs to be said but in love and growing together so that together we become mature. When was the last time you were able to speak the truth in love to someone and really help them grow in their faith? I don't mean sending an email. Goodness. I mean taking them out for a coffee. Offering to invest in their life. Walking alongside of them in Jesus' name coming beside someone and helping them grow in their faith. That's what we should be doing. So really quickly, as we want to be better at investing in each other's lives, as we want to be better at taking what God has granted us and really allowing God to use us in the lives of other people so together we're growing in our faith and knowledge of Christ, we've decided to make some shifts here. Over the summer, groups of us, like there was 47 people invited to meetings, over a variety of meetings over the summer to think about how we could do some things differently, to think about what this would look like. And so we've shifted some things. When it comes to community groups, we've shifted to be groups of 10 instead of larger groups. So they're going to be smaller groups so that there's going to be more transparency and vulnerability as we study the Word. We're going to go through the book of Acts together. There's no more sign-up sheets outside of the service. Tomorrow morning, you'll get an email from us if you're on our email list. If you're not, sign up for it. And we're going to send an email out. You're not going to know who the leaders of the groups are. We're just going to say there's a group on the escarpment, there's a group below the escarpment. We're going to explain if there's child care or no child care, the day it's happening on, and uh, you can sign up for your top three choices. And then a few of us are going to go through, and we're going to put people in groups um, because there's only 10 in a group. And so that's how we're going to do things so that people can together grow. Now that's, you know, really thrown some of you. I could see it. But we're doing that because the mad rush to the table after the service has not worked well for us, right? It, it's, just, it's just, I mean, Dave Heska tells the best story of this, of their first Sunday here in a growth Sunday. It wasn't their first Sunday here. They've been here for a little while, but on a, on a growth Sunday, and they're getting along, because normally this was on Chili Cheese Dog Day, and they're getting in line for their Chili Cheese Dog, and as they're doing that, they see a mad rush to a table, like, what's going on? And they realize everybody's rushing to sign up for a small group. They don't get in line. They're not going to be in a small group. And it was, a, it was a phenomenon we've had for a long time, including up to the pandemic, where people would just rush and sign, and, and, and um, we're going to alter some of that so that there's a a system that we think is more equitable and will work better for us as we sign up. And, and we're, most of our groups usually dissolve after a year, but if in this new system a group is functioning really well, we're going to say, keep it for two years. 
Just, just keep it moving. Do some stuff over the summer. Keep, keep the group going. We don't want them to last forever. We do want groups to be able to multiply and be thinking about what it means to be inviting others in. That's part of the reason for the tent. Because maybe in the new year you'll meet someone, maybe a neighbor, a friend. You'll be having a conversation with them. They don't know Christ. And you'll say to the group, hey, I've been having these gospel-centered conversations with my friend. Can I invite them into the group? I think it's the best place for them to start and not on a Sunday morning. And, and we want the groups to be able to do that. We've shifted what we call our, our covenant groups to just be accountability groups, these mysterious things that happen at the church, right? What, what, what are these groups? They're accountability groups. There's, there's papers on the table. There's like 30 of them today. If you want to pick one up, you can read about them. But these are groups where you and three or four women, if you're a woman, or you and three or four men, if you're a man, right, can connect together. They're based out of friendship, right? So we don't form them. The, the church leadership team does not form these groups for you. We can't do it. But out of friendships that you found in community groups, in service, with friendships that you found in whatever it would be, we have a little bit of a package that you can read and go through that says, here are some of the ways that you can meet. And if, if maybe the community group thing is something that you don't love as much and you'd rather grow with three or four women or three or four men in a more intense accountability setting, you can do that. And, uh, and you can join into one of those groups and you can be a part of what that looks like. We're starting a whole new thing of, of uh, or you can form one of those groups and, and be a part of them. We're starting a whole new thing called Discovering James North. We've run this in the past, but we're changing it. All right, so it's going to take us a bit of time. We're going to have what's now called Discovering James North and membership. And so if you're newer to the church and you're trying to understand who our church is, what we're about, before you can send us an email and sign up for a uh, small group, you need to go through Discovering James North for five weeks. We want you to be a part of it so that we can understand more of who you are. Jordan and Deanna Spolster have offered to lead it, right? As we've made all these changes over summer and thought about th these things. And, and so we want a better system so that people, we can get to know people, hear who they are, their story, and then place them into a community group. Place them into something. And so if you've never been a part of Discovering James North, we're saying we want you to be a part of that before you join a community group, before you sign up for one of those. And then we have other community groups lined up for the, for the fall. Uh, for, the, for the spring, sorry, like for January, winter, and spring. And then we'll be running some classes this year. Some of them will be happening on different nights during the week. We've got a little hiccup with that right now because the person I asked to lead the first class is unable to do so. And so I'm transitioning with a couple other people, so it may happen a little later this fall. But we're also going to have some classes, some classes that will talk about hermeneutics and what it means to understand Scripture with a Saturday morning seminar followed by, you know, three or four or five uh, uh, teaching sessions during the night uh, in an evening. Uh, some Bible basics around, around Old Testament and New Testament. Some of you have participated with these in, with us in the past around systematic theology, theology one and two, around church history. So there's a number of people we've been talking to who are kind of lined up to come. Our first one is kind of derailed. Um, and, uh, and so we're kind of putting that back in place. But we're going to have some courses that you'll hear about in the next week. And what we want you to do is kind of figure out how do you best grow and how do you best grow with others? Is it a smaller group? Is it a mid-sized group? Is it a larger teaching session group? How do you invest in the lives of others? How do you understand the gifts that God's given you? How do you input into others' lives? How do you receive that? And how do we together speak the truth in love so that we grow together to the maturity of what Christ wants. So here's what I want you to do just for a couple of minutes as Kevin and Sarah come back to the front. I want you to just take a couple of minutes and just say, Lord, how am I going to grow in community this year? How am I going to grow in my faith this year with others? 
God, what does that look like for me? If I'm part of a campus group, if I'm part of a James North group, but whose life am I going to be investing in intentionally? Whose life am I going to be pouring myself into? See, so often when we come to this, we think it's about who's pouring into my life. But as you read the text on this, it's actually about whose life you're pouring into. About whose life you're giving to. That helps you grow. Because then you end up basking in God's presence saying, okay, God, I need to be growing in my faith so that I can help this person continue to grow in their faith. And then you see the person that you're helping grow in their faith, and now I want you to do this for someone else. I want you to help them grow in their faith. I want you to walk alongside the next person. And there's this beautiful, continual Amway, I'm kidding, um, a pyramid, right? Of people investing in people, 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 investing in people for the glory of God and the sake of the kingdom. So whose life are you going to be coming alongside of? What community group or covenant group are you going to be a part of? What classes might you join this year to grow in your faith, to mature as a believer? So would you just take a couple of minutes on your own and pray, and at the end of that time, I'm going to pray. Just silently on your own, take a couple of minutes and just ask God to take your life and allow you to be someone who's concerned about your spiritual growth. God, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your salvation in our lives. We thank you that you are delighted to save and that you love to do so, and thank you for that. Thank you that you grant us a foundation that is firm and secure and true. It is an incredible foundation, God. One body, one spirit, one faith, one hope, one Lord, one baptism, one Father. We have this incredible foundation. And then, God, you've granted us each other. You've gifted us to serve each other, to walk alongside of each other, to help each other grow so that we can mature in our faith and knowledge of who you are, Lord Jesus. And God, some of us right now, we're really excited about that. It's been a long pandemic where we felt isolated. We can't wait to gather. We can't wait to be meeting with other people. We can't wait to be doing this as, 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 as protocols allow. And we're so excited, God, to be able to be engaging with other people again and growing together in our faith and knowledge of you. And God, some of us are terrified. And we're not terrified because we're coming out of isolation for some of us. We're terrified because we've never taken our faith seriously. We had a foundation that we've just never really grown upon. We've never built upon. We never really matured, God, and we're terrified to mature. We've made other things the priority, our academics, job advancement, a hobby, ourselves, God, just our own selfishness. We've made other things, God, our priority, and so forgive us for that. And God, help us to be a people that recognize your work in our lives so that by your Spirit we are able to mature in our faith and grow. Grant us that grace and that grace to be involved in each other's lives. God, show us this year where each of us may best fit so that we can continue to grow in our faith. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.